Um, I usually have a handout here, but uh, I don't. If you want one, I can definitely get you one later. Um, but the starting place for uh, election, at least for me, anyways, uh, kind of begin. I'd like to begin with telling you how I've wrestled with this myself. And it really wasn't until college that I um, kind of began to get my arms around this. But some of you all don't know this. Most of you all probably don't know this. So I grew up in a Methodist church, which, which has a, a different theological foundation than what, what we're exposed to here. Um, and I didn't really, I, people loved me in that church. They, you know, I, I was taught the love of God in that church, no doubt. But by the time I got to college, I just, I didn't know anything in the sense of, theological terminology, and I found myself, long story, in a Presbyterian church, and there was a guy doing a Sunday school class in the, uh, going through the book of, of Ephesians. Now, you can't read Ephesians, you can't get through chapter 1 without hearing the word election and predestination two or three or four times within that short, um, or that chapter. And he starts talking about this stuff, and I'm just sitting back there like, what is this guy talking about? I mean, this... Is he, has he heard of John 3.16? You know, I've started getting like my, my weapons ready to go to battle over this idea of election, which is a reformed idea. Um, it's a biblical idea because it's, and because it's biblical, it's reformed, right? Um, and, and so... What's that? Paul is my favorite election theologian. He's mine too. And uh, so he starts talking about another guy named John Calvin... Y'all probably know who that is. And I raise my hand. I'm like, all right, who is this John Calvin guy? I want to talk to him because I don't think he knows what he's talking about. Of course, he's been dead for 500 years. I couldn't do that. I didn't know that. That's, that's, who I, that's where I came from, right? I didn't know anything about this. And, and, and part of that is because I hadn't really read the Bible. Um, and, and a bigger part of that was I really hadn't read the Old Testament. Um, I joke... Uh, with people when I say that. I, the reason I went to seminary was so that I could read the Old Testament. But, um, but it wasn't until my sophomore, junior year of college, somewhere in there, when all these things started kind of hitting on all cylinders, reading scripture, um, getting a little bit of, uh, you know, adding a little bit of theology to my diet. Um, I had really none. Y'all might feel like you have too much. I get that. Um, and I remember sitting in my apartment, and it was just kind of like, here's where it all kind of came to a head. And I just realized that um, if I was left to myself, I know that in my heart I would never, ever want to choose the things of God. Um, I was, I was in, in the process of being convicted of habitual sin, that, that really, like, what I, what I really want to do is just do what I want to do. What I really want to do is is not be drawn to the things that God cares about. And the only reason I care about these things is because he has called me. He has, he has reached out to me. That's what election is. And it's the idea that we have hearts that are fallen and broken and, and, and actually alienated and, and we're enemies of God. Uh, but he comes after us. And he says, I'm not going to let you go in that direction. I'm not going to let you go here. And so I'm going to call you. And, I've, and I've, Ephesians talks about this. Is, I'm going to call you from the foundations of the world. Before you were even created, I knew you. And I, and I knew that this is, this, this is, these are the people that, that, that Jesus, who died for, these are his elect. So what we say by that. So, so for our time, I want us to look at this in the Old Testament. We're kind of probably more familiar about it in, in, the, in the New Testament. 
But I want us to look at it. And, and, and one of the things that, that we're going to just sort of touch on, is, one, is, look, it's just there in the Bible. It's there. There's no getting around it. Um, and, and so whether we're dealing with this ourselves, or we're trying to learn about what election really is, or we're talking with people who come from a different theological tradition and really are adamant about uh, election's not true, one thing we can say is that the Bible doesn't talk about it. The Bible doesn't mention it. It's all over Scripture. And so we're going to look at that briefly. And then I want to look at um, you know, how it is, how the context in which the Bible gives us election so that we are understanding it appropriately. Because a lot of times what happens is we take it outside of the biblical context and we use it in very harmful ways. Okay? And then you know, the best part, I want to leave time for y'all's questions. So a couple of um, presuppositions about election and what presuppositions are are things that all of us believe, whether we are aware of them or not, when we come into a room and we talk about fill in the blank. So some of the presuppositions we bring with us this morning about election are things about what we think about sin. So everybody in here has their own ideas of what they think sin is. And based on what you think sin is or isn't, um, it's actually going to define what you think about election. Okay? I, I'm going to argue that sin is always the, the basis for, what, for believing in election or not. You know? So if you think that sin hasn't really corrupted you, if you think that sin hasn't really um, made you alienated from God, then election isn't going to make sense to you. Another presupposition is, is uh, what is known and what's not known about the mind of God. I'm going to go ahead and draw this on the board if I have a marker that works. That one doesn't work. Is there, are there markers that work anywhere? Okay. One of the things we're going to look at is that in Scripture you have the mind of God, right? This is where God lives. This is who he is. This is his dwelling place. And then there's this line, and then this is where we are. We are. Where we are, yeah. And something I want you all to be th- begin thinking about is, whether you're talking about election or just the story of Scripture itself, what we're always dealing with here is, how does a God who is transcendent, who's all-knowing, all-powerful, everything, I mean, this is God, how does he begin to communicate something about himself to his creation, right? And and part of the limitations here are, do we actually believe that we can get inside the mind of God completely? No. It would make us God, right? There's no way that we can know everything that God knows. And so what do we get in Scripture? We get pieces of of truth. We get, we, get, we get what it is that he's able to give us that we can even understand. Uh, but then even the things that he's given us in Scripture, right, is way more than we can really fathom and understand. So I want to hold that out here for just a second. We'll come back to it in a little bit. Lastly, the third presupposition that we have to deal with and we'll talk about is free will. And what is it, that, what do we mean by free will? What does it mean to feel like we have the, the will to choose, okay? So, with, that, with those things kind of in mind, uh, let's start here about how, how and where we see um, election in the Bible, and, and specifically for this morning, I want to talk about it in the Old Testament. Um, first, when we get to uh, Genesis 1 and 2, this is the, the, the creation narrative. All right, we're pretty much familiar with this, I would think. And when we get here, we, we learn something about free will. And I want to use some terminology here from a guy named Robert Peterson. He teaches at Covenant Seminary. He says that, that, that 
in the garden where Adam and Eve exist, we have free will is expressed in two ways. There's freedom of choice, which is the ability to just sort of, I'm going to go get a drink out of that refrigerator. Um, if there were donuts in the room, I'm going to go get a donut. The freedom of choice there exists in the garden. But there's also another type of freedom, a generic type of freedom that he's calling total freedom. And what total freedom is, is not just the, the ability to have spontaneous decisions, but it's the ability to actually have relationship with God, because that's where life exists. So total freedom there is the ability to know God, to love him, to understand him, um, and to have relationship with him. Election exists, or, or yeah, so th- this is the context in which we're given which is what we start out in the Bible, and this is the context in which we're given um, uh, for free will. Election exists, but not in an intervening way that happens once sin, which is uh, guilt and pollution that enters our life um, after the fall. Okay, And so the fall comes in, and what happens is, is we only are left with freedom of choice. There's, there's no total freedom here anymore. You still have the ability to go and pick a drink out of that refrigerator. What you don't have the ability of, what the Bible is saying, is this idea of total freedom to be in relationship with God, to desire him, to want to know him. Um, As a matter of fact, we we should read it, but Genesis 6, 5, um, who has that? Somebody read that. 6, 5? Yeah. Did y'all hear that last part? That, say it again. That the what? Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil. Okay, I kind of joked about this last week, but you know, somebody needs to go and and write Genesis six five underneath their cheeks when they go play football. Um, you know, instead of you know, maybe like John three sixteen or something, which is a great verse, but. This is, this is right off the pages of the fall. This is, this is the human condition. Nobody, nobody um, wants anything to do with God. This is the idea of total freedom that, that we're going to talk about, that we're gonna, the phrase we're going to use, that, that we don't desire this relationship. And so, um, and so what happens is, is it's out of that context. And so Genesis runs all the way to chapter 12, and this is where election starts in the Old Testament. What happens in Genesis 12? You reformed Bible people. Yeah, so he calls, he calls Abraham. And what, is, what, is, what happens when you call somebody? What is that called? <laughs> it's called election, right? It's called election. Election begins in the Old Testament with the calling of Abraham. And we see here um, the, the calling of individuals here. Uh, first, uh, Abraham. And Abraham you know, wasn't this special person. He wasn't an, an idolater. Um, Abraham was uh, somebody who was doing what everybody else was doing at this point in time in the world, which was what? Worshiping multiple gods. It was a polytheistic worldview. And he's out in the desert with his family. And then all of a sudden, he begins to believe in monotheism, just all of a sudden, and then somehow convinces his family and everybody else to begin wandering around the desert to go down to Egypt because this is where God's calling him to go. Now here's my question. Would Abraham just naturally have gone and chosen God and followed him if he wasn't elect, if he wasn't chosen by God? Torque question. Uh, I've, got, I've got a quick question. Okay. Can you define um, election just to make sure like... Yeah, good idea. I understand 
No, good question. Yeah, I should have done that. Um, election is, is just another word for choose. So when we talk about election in the Bible, we're saying that your salvation is dependent only upon God choosing you as his elect, as, as, as somebody who he... Um, there's, an, there's, a, there's a, a different type of love and affection that's been placed on you. So it's that choosing. And so um, as, we, as we go through here, um, kind of, if I come back, is that good? Yeah. Okay. We have to ask the question, would Abraham have ever followed God if, it were not, if, if he were not chosen? Would he have just sort of come out of this polytheistic worldview and created monotheism? Would he have done these sort of strange things that he has done? You know, uh, but 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 the, the Old Testament continues because we begin to see really quickly um, that 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 God is pretty adamant about talking about this idea of elect, and then we get to Jacob, who was another guy that came after Abraham, and um, there, Jacob had a brother named Esau, and in Malachi we get this phrase, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated, and there's a lot of context here. Paul in Romans 10 is actually going to come back to this and talk about what election is, is God saying yes to one person and no to somebody else. And that's the hard part about this. And so let me stop here for a second and just really uh, empathize with you here. There's nothing easy about election. My heart, even today at 36, fights against it at every step of the way. And why does it fight against it? It's because it's not, it's not because of this is a part of God that I really don't like. It's still, my, it's still a sin in my heart. I, I want to be able to live in a world where I have control over whether or not this is going to happen or that's going to happen. I want to live in a world where I feel like I'm actually, um, I'm really God and, and God isn't. And so what I want to do is I don't want God to be God. I don't want to allow him to be God. I want to kind of create, manipulate the scene myself. But over and over we get, we get all this picture, all these pictures of what God is doing. Um, and he's telling his people, and he's telling Israel, you're the ones I have chosen, um, not these other people. Uh, now, we get, we get more of that here later on, but, but we have to be okay with this at some, some level. I'm not saying we have to have it all figured out and sort of, all right, I'm not concerned about that anymore, but we need to, we need to carry this with us as we go on throughout Scripture. Let me read this quotation here. Jacob's story, to pr- uh, Jacob's story disproves the notion that God's choice of individuals is based on faith or holiness. Instead, Jacob's story highlights the fact that God's choice of individuals produces faith and holiness. Um, that's what election does. Is God's choosing of you is what actually produces faith and holiness in our lives. Another way to put that is as, as, as once a, an Arminian, which is another way to, to say somebody who believes they they're the ones that chooses whether or not to believe in God or not. Well, we're going to get to this in a second, but do all of y'all have to say that you believe in God? Do all of you have to make a decision to choose to follow Christ? Do all of you have to make a decision to choose God? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You're hearing that first and foremost from the Reformed pastor. Absolutely, you do. You, you, the Bible is propositional. If, it's not, if it doesn't ask us to pray, for example, we're not going to pray. Like there, there is a message here that says this is what you need to do. This is what you have to do. And on every page, there is this invitation to believe. What election is about is where does that desire to say yes come from? That is always the issue in this discussion. So when we talk with our friends and when we talk with, amongst ourselves or as we're wrestling with this, we're not saying that you're a robot or that determinism, a philosophical debate, is something that the Bible is promoting, that we're just sort of meandering through life and we have no decision over anything. There, there is this unique tension between 
our choices and what God is doing in our life. But what we are saying with election is that your desire to even choose God, like my desire in college to recognize that my heart would never go after the things of God, the desire to choose God is always initiated with God himself, by God himself. In the same way the creation, the world was created, was initiated by him. He's been doing this since the foundations of the world. That's what election is about. So we see that in, in individuals in the Old Testament. It's important to, to, to note that because a lot of people look at the Old Testament and say, well, election in the Old Testament is just about calling a people, um, which it is. And this gets to the, the second point that I want to talk about, cor- election as a corporate thing. There's no greater example of election than the fact that God chooses Israel and not Assyria. That God chooses Israel and not Babylon. That God chooses Israel and not, not America. You know, it, it's... And this never, it never occurred to me. I mean, it was so funny. I mean, it's probably occurred to y'all. But being in college and not really dealing with the Old Testament, I never asked the question once. Why did he choose Israel and nobody else? This is a question that Israel wrestled with over and over and over again. And I want to read for you Deuteronomy 7, 6, 8. This is so pretty. Uh, I don't know if you have a, uh, a Bible or not, but Deuteronomy 7, 6, 8. Israel's asking the same questions you're asking. God, why did you choose us? Why us? Is it because we're this awesome people, this great nation? Is, this, is it because, um, you know, I don't know, I made all A's on my, you know, I don't know, whatever you would fill in the blank of, this is why God would choose me, is because I'm this awesome and great. Here's the, here's what they're asking, here's what he says to them, Deuteronomy 7, 6, 8. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. What, what Deuteronomy is saying here, sort of translate that in our own kind of language, when it makes this comment about it, it's not because you were more in number, which, which is another way of saying you weren't, this, this, you, know, you weren't the most powerful people, obviously. You weren't the, the most wealthy. Um, you weren't like all the other nations that, that, that just from a worldly standpoint, I mean, you, you're going to pick Egypt over Israel, trust me. I mean, have you seen the number of chariots they have? Have you seen the gold, the wealth that's there? And he said, no, 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 it had nothing to do with those things. We would translate like that today as saying, your salvation has nothing to do with your works. God didn't pick you, and you guys hear this all the time. He didn't pick you because you were so fabulous, because you were so perfect, and y'all are, right? Yeah. But, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's somebody loving the unlovable, and in that process makes us lovely. That's election, Okay. And so he's saying the same thing to, to us as, as he did to, to Israel um, through this. And the, and the only reason that I have for you, the only reason that anybody has for you as to why God picks who he picks, is because he loves them. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Or Esau I rejected. And so what does this do to us? And what it, what it, what it should do to you, and this becomes to get more into the context of, of how we think about election, is if it's true that my desire to follow God and to believe in Jesus is only, is only possible because the God of this world and this universe 
is real and worked in my life and softened my heart to believe in those things, what do you think that does to you? Is that not true? Say it again. Yes. Yes. Does that not draw you more into this God? Does that not make him more lovely that he would... I mean, why would he think about me? And this is always the point of election in the Bible. First in Israel, who is Israel? They are this slave community. They have, their humanity is beat down. What do you think it begins to mean to them when the God who created everything says, I picked you. It means everything in the world to them. And what does that become? This makes election not about who's in and who's out. Election is about this God who knows everything communicating what love to a people. That's what election is about. How in the world is God going to communicate love to us? He's going to say, I'm going to choose you. For no reason. You were not, you were not worth choosing, trust me. But because I love you, I'm going to choose you. <clears throat> there, there's a, here, I'll read this other quote by Bernard Brevard Child, excuse me. That the choice of Israel derives solely from the mysterious and inexplicable love of God is a major theme in Deuteronomy and in the meaning of election. This gets to the kind of the other presupposition. There's a part of this that y'all have to begin to be okay with. That there's a mystery here. I called it tension earlier. There's a mystery here that we just, like all we get is the reason God chooses Israel, the reason he chooses us is because he loves us. That's all I got. There's a mystery there. That's, that's where it's left. We're, we're not getting up here. Right? And, and there's a part of us that has to be okay with that. And I think that's, that's fine. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words in this law. And so with that, a guy named John Frame uh, kind of coins these two terms. There's historical election. And then there's eternal election. And this might answer some of y'all's questions. And he says, all of the eternally elect are historically elect, but not vice versa. I'm going to explain that in just a second. Uh, Peterson adds, historical election puts one within the community of faith, but does not guarantee that one has been eternally elected for salvation. Elect individuals ultimately believe and obey God. So what does he mean? Historical election is the choosing of Israel. Did everybody in Israel believe? No. No. Historical election is the church. In the New Testament. Is everybody that's showing up this morning in church, are they believers? No. No. That's historical election. But within that body, within, within the body of Israel, within the body of the church, you have what? Eternal election. You do have what we call the invisible church. You do have those who do believe, who come to faith. All right? Think about people who go to church where it's just sort of a social event, right? That's another way to think about that. But over throughout the old, entire Old Testament, what is constantly being said? Israel, where are you going? Why are you, why are you not believing? What, what, has to, what has to change? They're, they're, they're so focused on, on circumcision, but not circumcision of the, of the heart. You know, we hear that over and over and over again. That's historical versus eternal. So like if the baptism would be tied to historical election? Yes. Great connection. I was going to get there. Don't have to do that anymore. Yes, historical election is infant baptism. It's, it's us getting in the club. But that's not eternal election because baptism doesn't save us. It is an act of the obedience of, of believers. And even I think today, we, we've got a profession of faith from a grown person, right? 
And that person's going to be baptized too because they haven't been baptized yet. But that baptism is the same thing as the baby that will be baptized as well. Um, but that's historical. It's historical. It's being brought in where you are brought into the people of God and all, all the things that God provides. Um, but even still within that, what election is saying is that the, the, there, there is a, there's a smaller remnant, if you will, of people who truly believe um, and this gets kind of to this last point of, so we've seen sort of the election of individuals in the Old Testament with Abraham and then Jacob and not Esau. And that's an argument that, or, or it's a, a point that, that keeps going throughout Scripture all the way to Paul. Uh, we've seen election uh, as the, the calling of a people, that God is actually calling a people to himself. And we see that in Israel. Um, the last thing we see in the Old Testament is the election of a Messiah, uh, it's a minor theme in the Old Testament, but it becomes pretty big in the New Testament if you've been reading. Um, and this is the idea that, that God, the purpose of election really in many ways is, is the call of this Messiah who will make all things right. Um, uh, Isaiah 42.1 says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, that's the word for elect, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice, justice to the nations. Um, okay. So what do we learn about election from the Old Testament? One, it's there, right? It's all over the place. The word itself, whatever you want to put it. Why God chooses Israel, not Assyria, as we said, to place his particular affection upon, I do not know, and you don't know, and nobody knows. Other than just what we have from Deuteronomy 6 that we read, it's that God just loves us. Um, I will never have access to the mind of God. You will never have access to the mind of God. Because of that, there's a bit of mystery here that we have to be okay with. But here's something that I would put place upon you as you all wrestle with this. Is that what are you after? Are you after your glory or are you after the glory of God? Because my argument, what I think the Bible is constantly putting forth here about this, and this is a really, I think, a really helpful way to think about this, is that God shares his glory with nobody. When we get to heaven, nobody is sharing the glory of Jesus but Jesus. We are what? We are worshiping. And, and the, the thing that I struggle with the most with my brothers and sisters who I love, 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 who don't believe in election, is that any attempt for me to move into the arena of choosing God is saying, I, I'm now asking to share the stage of glory that Jesus will share uh, when the new heavens and the earth come down. That, yeah, Jesus, you did, you did, you did a good job there, but, but I came halfway. That's sharing in the glory of God. And that is something that the Bible never, ever, ever, not only makes it, not only says that it's possible, but it's not even an idea. Now, the whole point of this is what? Is to bring glory to God himself. And so I want you to really think about that. Is that when we deal with election, what is really in your heart? Um, uh, what's really fighting uh, this? Is it, is it your desire for glory? Which this is always the case for me, and it still is. Like, I want to I matter in this way. Um, or is it turning the glory completely over to Jesus? That's what election is. Um, second thing I would say is election has a purpose. It's not arbitrary. Um, some, of that, some of that purpose and entirety we don't know. But part of that purpose is caught up in who Israel was called to be. And that's a treasured possession, as we read. It's a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And from this we see that God has, from the foundations of the earth, known and loved a people that he is calling to himself to be with for all eternity. This treasured possession is the king's spoil, if you will, that is given to him upon victory. 
And we ultimately see this fulfilled in Christ who upon death and resurrection. What does God do? He's pleased to give him the gift of what? His elect. You are the spoil for him. This is his reward. This is what keeps him on the cross. Is that is that is the promise that his death would ultimately for eternity give him back you. Lastly, uh, as a kingdom of priests, God's elect, Israel, they are given a responsibility. What is our responsibility then? Right? Um, and um, their responsibility, Israel's responsibility was what? To be, to be holy. Um, that is, Israel must reject the false religions of the Canaanites, for example, and to do God's will. Um, Peterson adds, election brings with it great responsibility to those whom God chooses. And part of this responsibility for Israel was to act as an agent, of, an, as an ambassador of God. Um, for, for what? Does anyone want to know why? For evangelism. Y'all think, now Jews don't evangelize. Y'all know that, right? But is evangelism in the Old Testament? Absolutely. Um, this whole geographical setting, right? You know, you have these worlds. This is the world at this point in time. And God says, look, I'm going to take this puny little people group. I'm going to put them right here in the middle. Why? So that when Egypt would travel to Syria or Syria to Egypt or vice versa, they had to go through these people. It wasn't arbitrary that, 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 that where Israel was placed was, oh, we'll just put them here. No, the point was is that as you live out, as you love God and neighbor, as you live out my will for you, as people come and they stay and they, they, they learn about this monotheism, they, they see how you live, the whole point is that they would begin to ask questions about that God. And that they would begin to believe in that God. This is, this is the mission of God himself, is to take him to the nations. He was doing it through a people person, but this person failed. This group failed. Until we get to what? The true Israel, which is Jesus. Okay, so it's a little bit of biblical theology for you. All right. He is the second Adam. He is the true Israel. Right? And then from Jesus, what happens now? Where are we now? God's kingdom is, is, is exploding. It's going out. And, and it's, it's, so it starts out big and it narrows down to one person, right? And then it goes back out. Evangelism. So your responsibility, where's this, where, what's the point of this? As, as Christians who believe in election, is to evangelize. Why? So that more people can be saved. Yeah, but wait, I thought God just chose people. Yeah, you think so? Do you know who is... I'm sorry, I'm going to get to you in a second. Do you know who is saved? No, why? Yeah, you're not God. Um, but does God work through second causes? Yeah, he does. In other words, part of his plan of salvation for us is that you might actually engage your roommate in college one day or your friend at school or your you know, friend on the track team and begin to talk to them about this monotheism that you believe in. And you might begin to talk to them about how this God uh, really is the one true God. Um, and, and that through you, God's elect is brought to him. So the whole idea there that, you know, well, people believe in election to believe in, um, you know, evangelism is a myth, and it's an abuse of this wonderful, beautiful doctrine that really serves to uh, make God more beautiful to us, that really serves to bring us closer into worship of him, because he would think of us this much. Okay.